Hello and welcome back for episode two of the Kink Collective. My name is Joshua, also known as Master Joshua, and with me I have my partner Kat. Good morning, afternoon, evening, depending on where you are. <laughs> Don't steal my line. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with this episode, what I was hoping to do is introduce who is Kat. So, Kat, who are you? <laughs> well, I'm a lot of things, and I've been a lot of things. Right. So, who am I now? I'm Mama. I'm mama to you and almost everyone in our circle. Um, I didn't ever think I'd end up. I'm not a, a mother. I don't have any children of my own. And I never thought I'd be in this place of being a mama. Um, but I love it. And I'm happy that it's where I am now. Um, I'm a partner. Uh, and I am an ex-wife about three times over. I'm a widow. Uh, but I'll tell you more about that as we go, right? I'm a daughter and a sister. Although my relationships have been strained, right? Like when I first started to really move into who I am and my involvement in the lifestyle and where I wanted to be, those relationships got strained and they still are actually. Um, I'm a person who's done a ton of work on myself um, and, and none more so than I have in the last few years, right? Uh, I like to consider myself a spiritual being having a human experience, although that's a fairly cliche phrase, but I still relate to it. Uh, I'm in recovery. Uh, I'm a lifelong advocate for people who have experienced loss, especially people close to them. I'm a trauma survivor. I'm a student. And uh, and as you said before, I'm a human. Awesome. I, um, I'd i like to come back to the, uh, the strained uh, relationship, but we'll come back to that okay. in, a, in a little bit. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your history. Well, I was born in New York. Um, I was actually born in New York. Long Island. All right. Long Island, but it's still New York. It's not Miami. New York State. <laughs> um, I lived here until I was 14. Uh, at 11, my mom died, and that was a fairly uh, pivotal sort of experience in my life. Uh, however, I moved to Florida while I was still in high school. Again, another almost traumatic experience. Um, after some time there, I moved to the Midwest for about a year, and then I ended up in Northern California, where I lived for 20 years before I came back here about 12 years ago. And yes, you guys can do the math. <laughs> um, I started my journey into recovery and kink and BDSM while I lived in California. And then when I moved back here, uh, it was uh, an opportunity to embrace that part of my life and to move fully into that lifestyle, which I had wanted to do for years and never had the opportunity to. Yeah, getting into this lifestyle isn't a one-and-done thing for a, lot of, for a lot of folks. It, it, it's uh, perceived as that. Like once you're in, you're in, and it's like some people come in, they step out, step in, step out. Yeah, that's uh. my story in some ways, right? I, I got in it when I first, it, was, it coincided with my, my getting sober, right? So I got sober and I started to get in touch with who I was and got the courage to reach out and so I did then. But in the intervening, whatever, 30 years, I've been in and out depending on life circumstances and jobs. I've, been, I've lived more quote unquote vanilla and then I've been more in it. And now of course these last 12 years has been, uh, you know, me coming into my own around it. Could you tell us a little bit more about the strain around relationships coming in and out of of the lifestyle? Right. When I there's a lot of circumstances around my moving to New York. That's like another whole podcast. Um, but when I was on my way out here, I was driving out here from California, and I was so excited about this opportunity that had come. And I had never, I didn't realize that I had never told my family about any of my involvement in kink and BDSM and even swinging and stuff. Right? Because who talks to your family? about your sex life necessarily, right? My sister and my mom. But I w my sister and I were very close and I was super excited about this big change. And so 
Um, I was also like up on five hour energy, adrenaline and no sleep and decided that I should tell her about it because I was so excited and she didn't respond well. I didn't know she had some of her own negative exposure to the lifestyle and it essentially right on the spot um, ruined our ruined. I mean, it it just put a hold. Our, we haven't had a relationship really since then in those 12 years. Yeah, that's intense. One of the ideas that I get uh, from this conversation here is uh, we should address how do we disclose our identity? Like that's something right. a topic that a lot of people ask and uh, we'll come we'll come back to that. Yeah, the, the takeaway for me was to be not careful, but to be thoughtful about who I tell. Because this is one of those cats that you can't put bat in the bag, right? You, you disclose this about yourself to someone and then you can't have it not be something that they know. Yeah, yeah, that's intense. So what are some of the ways that you help people? Um, well, one of the things that I know is true and it's from my own experience is a lot of people don't know that they've suffered trauma, right? And trauma is the most recent part of my own journey, my own recovery around trauma, right? But what I know is that people don't know what they've suffered. So people come to me and we sit and we chat and then we uncover what's really going on, whether it's recovery issues, uh, unresolved grief, trauma that they didn't even know they had, right? And then what happens is people realize that this is how they show up in the world, right? Without knowing that that's how they're showing up in the world, right? Uh, so with trauma, grief, addiction, right? So I've found some of my own solutions to those things. And then that's been able to let me listen to people. And what I, what I say sometimes is I listen, there's people tell their story, but there's a story behind the story, right? And that's what I hear a lot is that story behind the story. And so then that's what I help people with. Awesome, awesome. <coughs> Don't mind me, I'm getting over a cold. <coughs> <coughs> so tell us about your part uh, in the King Collective, what's your side? How? Tell us about it. All right. Well, um, when I came back to New York, as I've said, I, I came to be fully in the lifestyle. I was involved with someone who uh, ultimately became my fourth husband. Um, and we, while our connection was over BDSM and kink and uh, DS dynamics and whatnot, we ended up um, being life partners and business partners. We ended up being equals, so there was no dynamic. But what we were really focusing on is swing in events, right? So ultimately, I ended up in uh, facilitating swing events, and then I got swing clubs that I owned and ran. And so from my side, what I ended up doing is helping people who were new. People would come to events, and they'd be brand new, and I ended up walking people through a lot of that. When you say swing, what do you mean swing? Um, like swingers, right? Like what people... You know, it's not a stereotypical thing, but there's a whole other environment out there, group. It's not BDSM and kink, but it's people who engage in open sexuality. They have partners, but it's consensual. Uh, it's what they, uh, in a lot of ways, it's what they call consensual non-monogamy. Couples come, singles come, et cetera, to an event. And they're, it's like vanilla sex, but it's this exciting, we're changing partners, we're voyeurs, we're, you know, we're exhibitionists. So it's a different world. Yeah. All right, so I ended up, while I came here thinking I was being coming to be involved with, you know, kink and BDSM, I ended up in this whole other world of the swing world and facilitating events for swingers. Um, in 2017, uh, my husband was diagnosed with uh, terminal liver cancer. Um, and then I became responsible for the club that we were running by myself. And I, 
in my heart, I was into BDSM and kink. So I began to bring those events on as I was running the club by myself, right? Uh, in 2017, uh, he passed away late in 2017. Uh, I didn't have a lot of time to grieve, but I was running the club full time. And so we were heading in this direction. Then you and I meet and we find out that we're very aligned philosophically. And then you were coming off of the things that you were coming off of and needing to redefine. So what we found is we had this common ground together. We, you brought one of your events to my club. We started doing events together. And then out of that, the King Collective was born. <coughs> Could you, uh, in the last podcast that we interviewed me in, um, we were going into who the King Collective is, our philosophy, people before kink. What's your perspective on it? It's not dissimilar to yours. I mean, it's why we're co-founders of the King Collective, right? And co-authors, if you will, of this philosophy of people before kink, right? But we, we started out as a leather family. Uh, we started out as a, as a collection of individuals who related to one another because we were all on journeys of self-discovery and we all practiced these uh, principles, if you will, of showing up. You spoke in the last interview about the people who would come and say, how can I help? You know, those were the people, the people who would show up at our events with that attitude of what can I bring, not what can I take. And those became the people who became part of the King Collective. Uh, as we've evolved, and some of that is in this big gap that happened with COVID, we began to develop people before kink. Uh, and people before kink is this philosophy that who we are uh, is must come before uh, what we do. My experience on that, and I know I'm digressing, but my experience on that was we would do these events and people would come and without even knowing anything about me or who I am, people would, you know, people would walk up to me and say, oh, oh, will you flog me? Oh, oh, mistress, this and not knowing anything about me. And my response to that always was to put my hand out and say, hi, my name is Kat, right? From this frustrated place of being objectified. And all of the people who were collecting in the King Collective were having this experience. Like we were all in these events being objectified, being treated like kink dispensers. And so this philosophy was almost born out of frustration and born out of a way to try to say to the world, this is not the way to be, right? It's, this is not the way to be to go up to people and in some ways like request or demand that they meet your needs, that they fulfill some spot in your life. So what we realized is that the essential core of changing that was to get people to understand that who we are is more important than what we do. I yeah. don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, no, it <laughs> absolutely does. Absolutely does. <coughs> and I think now we've, we've finished uh, 10, 10 intensives up to date. Yeah. Uh, what's that process been like for you? Well, we did our, after, let me, let me back up. Right before COVID, we did our very first in-person intensive, and it was amazing and exciting. I think there were six or eight people that took it. Uh, it was a full weekend, and it was really great. And we were getting ready to gear up to do the next one, and COVID broke out, and everybody was on lockdown, right? So here alone, lockdown, um, we began to develop a better – we, we were informed by our experience for the first one in February and began to hash out a curriculum, a more hashed out curriculum, right? COVID passes, we do our first in-person one a year ago, August. In the intervening 10 intensives, we are not anywhere now where we were when we started because we've taken all of our experiences and evolved what we're doing. We've learned from every single person that we've helped and asked ourselves, how can we help people better? And 
And so that's what it's been like for me, right? So where are we now 10 intensives later? You know, we're sitting on the edge of doing the same thing. Like we've helped people. Like we have stories upon stories of people who, whose lives have been changed by what we do. And I'm just interested in making sure that we continue to be of the greatest service that we can to all the people that we help. And where do you see us going from here? Um, I see us continue to move away from anything that has to do with play, right? Like we've had, it, we've had events that have been all play focused. And while I'm not saying that won't be in our future, we've really sort of honed in on education and connection and this system, this people before kink system that we've developed, uh, bringing it in as many places in as many venues as we can to help people connect and to help people become introspective and to help people get comfortable with the journey into who they are and how they can relate that to the people around them. So if you're listening and you have a venue and you want us to come, <coughs> please reach out. <laughs> <laughs> anywhere in the country, <coughs> anywhere in the world, we would love to bring PBK to the world at large. And that's really, I mean, optimistically, that's our goal, right? We want to be able to facilitate uh, deep knowledge of oneself and connection, genuine, authentic connection with other people to as many people in the world as we can. Yeah, for sure. <coughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, you approach what you do through the lens of recovery and trauma and grief. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about that because it's, it's a much different um, avenue, path than I have. Uh, so, you know, we got to the same point from different routes. Tell right. us about that path. Right. Um, I'm going to try to keep this reasonable because <laughs> I have a long story and sometimes <laughs> I can get lost in it, right? Um, my work with grief started when I was 11. My mother was diagnosed when I was seven. We spent four years with the, with the illness and pending death of my mother being the, the forefront of my childhood, uh, not the least of which was diving headlong into the five stages of grief because they came out at that time. So I like to tell people that I was educated in grief and how to grieve from the time I was 10, right? Um, but that's true, right? So the people that I meet, people that I run into, Whenever I run into someone who has lost someone very close, a child, a parent, a spouse, there's a particular kind of pain and there's a particular kind of need for reflection and permission to grieve in whatever way works for them and not in whatever way anyone wants to tell them they're supposed to, right? So I've been a sentinel for that for people like all my life. Recovery was something that I started in my very early 20s um, around codependency I was in a, a, a drug and alcohol adult codependent laced relationship. When it crashed and burned, I fell into 12 step recovery, but mostly around codependency. Uh, fast forward to like I'm 29 and all of a sudden I become aware that alcohol and drugs are a problem for me too. And so I go down a path of more traditional recovery. Um, and in the last, in the intervening 29 years, um, you know, I grasped onto it and held onto it both hands. I've had what they call continuous sobriety in all that time. And I help people who come to me with that, whether it's in uh, more official channels or just in work or whatever people show up in my life. They always have, right? People will show up in my life and they'll be like, can I talk to you? Uh, my uh, nephew, brother, partner, whatever, seems to have a problem with drinking. And I, you know, so I've always shown up and helped people around recovery issues. Uh, most recently, trauma. You can stop me at any point. <laughs> um, uh, <coughs> trauma showed up in my life with my understanding of it very recently, and it's, it's, a, it's a buzzword now. People know a lot about it. 
but I've done some very hardcore work around it. I have some deeper understanding about what it is to have been affected by trauma, what trauma looks like, and most importantly, how does it manifest in your life today, and what can we do about it to help move past it, to help not be stuck in it today. So uh, the process for me around all that is to get clear about what's going on, right? For me, I had to get, at each point along the way, I had to get clear about what was happening, right? And then invariably I needed help. I needed help grieving, I needed help with recovery, I needed help with trauma. And so I needed to acknowledge, I'm not one of those people that asks for help easily, right? I wanna do it all myself. I'm the self-contained person. And every time I crashed and burned, what I had to do was acknowledge that I needed help. Then I had to ask for it, and then I had to accept it. And that's what I help people do. Um, to do to do what I did to like walk how I walk and then um, and then that's it so this is how you help people yeah um, and part of it is is first and foremost for people to understand that I don't I'm not perfect I don't have this all worked out I've just worked at it a little bit longer than other people right and I can look back and say this is what worked for me and let me see if we can't figure out what will work for you um, it's really important in my mind to walk the walk, right? So if I'm going to show up and help people, uh, I better be doing that work myself, and I do. Um, so I don't reinvent the wheel, though, right? I'm not, I'm not making stuff up. I'm essentially taking what I've learned and what I've been through and helping people with it. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you being able to share your story with me. Uh, granted, I've... We've spoken about this numerous times over the years, but being able to hear it evolve and see where you stand with what gifts life has given you and yeah. uh, for you to share it with the listeners is really cool. Yeah. I do want to say that um, one of the things that I, I had been thinking about was how, how was I helped? Uh, everybody on my recovery path helped me, but how do I wish I was helped? Um, I wish I was helped with the grieving. I wish I had been allowed more to grieve, and I do wish that trauma had been explained to me. I wished I hadn't had to figure it out all by myself. So in some ways, that, that does inform how I help people. I want people to not have to suffer as long with unresolved grief and undealt with trauma, and if I can help people with that, then that's me paying forward in some ways in the world what I wish I had had, what I wish had been done for me. It's funny, right, because our intensive is about helping people move through this process of understanding self, cutting down three to five years into a few hours, whatever we can do. And it sounds like what you do with your work is for people who show up, you're helping them, willing to help them cut years off of their road to recovery if they put in the work. Yes. Right, so that they can work through the trauma, work through the grief, at their own pace, of course, whatever they take it as. But you're asking them the right questions to prompt the healing. Right, and, and it's true, like in our intensives, and we do our intensives essentially now through the lens of BDSM, but what we've come to see is that the work that we're doing has application well outside of that, right? But while we're, while we're in the intensives, part of what ends up happening for me is as people uh, uncover or encounter their grief, their trauma, uh, their addiction issues that they are bumping up against, I do end up with an opportunity right in our intensives to not necessarily walk people through it, but to help them become aware of it so they can leave our intensive not just with the sense of connection and introspection and authenticity 
and self-actualization, but for some kind of a roadmap for the work that they can also do for themselves specifically going forward. Yeah. Uh, we, we only ask the right questions at the right time. Yeah. Awesome, Kat. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, I hope, I hope uh, listeners were able to take away a bit of who is Cat Omre. <laughs> Omre. <laughs> it's not Omre. It's, it's not Orm. Cat Orm. Orm. We'll yeah. get into that story That's another day. That's a story day. for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, guys. Thank you. Thank you Bye-bye. for listening.